0: Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he says, and we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. I want to talk to you about the person of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about the power of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about the purpose of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about the process of his healing ministry. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father in heaven, before I dare to even open my mouth to speak, I seek that life that is Christ Jesus to be amongst us, to invigorate, to give us strength, and to bless us this morning. I pray it in your name. Amen. Despite the fact that we talk about abundant life, we talk about full life, there are many who live their lives in quiet desperation. There are many who seek to find meaning in life and instead live a tortuous, tormented existence. Sure, they have that drive for self-preservation, but sometimes they use and utilize it in perverse and self-destructive ways. I see that I have two speakers here. I forgot that I had one already attached to my tie, and here I'm using the one in my hand. I'm going to lay this one down, perhaps, if those who are controlling the speaker can do that, and then I don't need it. Thank you. In my career as an obstetrician, I did have a career as a pediatrician. In my career as an obstetrician, by my best calculations, I think I have delivered in excess of seven thousand babies. That's a lot of babies. (laughs) Even for me, it was a lot of babies. But you see, I started rather young and I delivered lots of babies in Africa, in Europe, and here in North America. Delivering a baby is a wonderful experience. A child is born and the baby cries and the mother feels so wonderful and the father sometimes he's even weeping and he holds that baby and it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. But that child, that gift of grace is born into a world that is an ungracious world. They are often born, as Philip Yancey says, into a world of ungrace. Sometimes a child is born looking perfectly normal, only to go blue as it begins to breathe and we realize there is a cardiac defect. Sometimes as the baby is in the nursery, we begin to see that there's a neurological problem. I've illuminated babies' heads in a dark room with a bright light and seen the whole head glow like a light bulb when there's been a porencephalic cyst and the, the brain is just not there. But perhaps one of the saddest, saddest situations is when a baby is born unwanted into this world of ungrace. Gail was such a person, born to an unmarried mother untouched by her mother's hands. In fact, unseen by her mother. She was taken to the nursery and adopted out to two people who really loved her. But as fate would have it, these two adoptive parents both died. And the little baby, Gail, was given into the care of an unwilling grandmother, Oh, she was a Christian, so she saw it as a duty. But she really treated that child with great harsh discipline. Even Christian people sometimes are ungraceful and hard. And that child left the home and went downtown to the city of Toronto and found some people who apparently were going to take care of her. They took care of her by taking them, her in, and as these youths created her into a crack addict, they then were able to take her life and traffic her in prostitution. I didn't know this when Gail first came to my office. She came in because she was pregnant. I I delivered all her babies. It 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 worked out. But she came into my office and there she was and I was talking, and I make small talk, and I, she had a denim jacket. In those days, they used to wear these denim jackets with all kinds of studs on them. You know, that was the fashion, studs all over. I said, man, you've got a jacket with lots of studs on it, haven't you? And she looked at me and testing my tolerance. That's what she was doing, testing my tolerance. She said, yeah, I nicked it. That meant she stole it. Ah, you see, I'm watching your expressions and your face to see how you react to such a thing. But she must have found that I had practiced enough self-composure that she saw no condemnation. And so when I asked her, I said, do you work? She said, yes, I work. What's your job? I said. I'm a hooker, she said. Hmm. She must have liked our office. You see, it's the great nurse behind the good doctor that made our office attractive because she kept coming. I took care of her for many years. I took care. And I would talk to her and say to her, Gail, one day they're going to find your body dead with a throat cut in a stairwell. What are you going to do about this life? No, she said, I have to support my habit. She didn't call it an addiction. Eventually, she realized that she needed to somehow get a grip on this addiction, and she moved out of town. And I thought, Gail has moved out. I won't ever see her again, until one day the telephone rang, and she said, my husband, common-law husband, of course, my husband has AIDS. And so my wife said, come along in, and we'll check you. And I checked her out, and I found that... She actually was HIV free. And so, that being the case, I talked to her, advised her about protection, and she went back home. And that November, a frantic telephone call came through. She was weeping on the phone. She said to my wife, He died. He died. But the problem is, what are we going to do for Christmas for the children? She said, if I go out and nick stuff, i.e. steal, if I go out and nick stuff, the police could take me, and I wouldn't have my children. Don't worry about it, said the great nurse, who's behind the good doctor. We'll take care of it. And so it was that we found ourselves with bicycles and skateboards, skates, crash helmets, wrist guards, bicycles... uh, fresh outfit for Gail and a fresh outfit for each of the children and one gargantuan turkey. I said, a turkey, Janet? Don't you think, you know, it's not the best? She said, are you out of your mind? This woman's a hooker. You're not going to take her a tofu turkey. (laughs) (laughs) We went into her house and as we went into her house, I was amazed because it was a small little house. I I, I, I thought the turkey would hardly fit through the doorway, (laughs) let alone into the oven. But it was so immaculate. It had been spit and polished. It was so clean. And we brought all of these presents. We'd had to take both our cars in order to be able to carry this stuff. we brought all of this in, and the children's eyes grew big like saucers as they looked at the Christmas presents. Wow, this was going to be a real Christmas, and none of it was nicked. And so it was going to be a wonderful Christmas. She showed me her spotless kitchen, her lovely room, and then she said, come, I'll show you the children's and my bedrooms. And she then started to take us, and up the stairway I saw a photographic depiction of the ravages of AIDS. For there standing in his underpants was a person of wonderful physical shape. He looked like one of these beautiful bodybuilders. But as we progressed up the staircase, I saw the decline and I saw the misery until finally there was at the top a bunch of human bones dressed in human skin with great gaunt eyes, staring out from a chair the wasted body of her erstwhile common-law husband. That's him, she said, eight hours before he died. She took me into the small bedrooms of the children. And then she took me, she took me, an Adventist physician, into the bedroom of a hooker. And as I stood there, she said, this is my bedroom. I was so glad that the great nurse was with me. (laughs) And as we stood there, I looked around the room and I said, this is beautiful, Gail. You've got your house looking so nicely. And on her dresser was a wooden box. And she pointed to the wooden box and she said, that's him. He can't say I don't love him. And then I began to see the emotion welling up in Gail. And tears started to run down her face. And I put my arms around her shoulder and I said, Gail, you must have really loved him. And she said, He's the only one who's ever really loved me. That's the condition of the world today. So many people living lives, unloved lives. Living lives where they don't know who cares for them. Living lives that are the result of sin. What a sorry. Sorry sight it must have been in that Garden of Eden. When the Savior came to meet with Adam and Eve. He knew they had been disobedient. But he still came. Still kept the appointment. Because Jesus still loved Adam and Eve. But here they were, frightened and tormented. They had seen a new nakedness. They were trying to hide themselves in the bushes. And a voice called in the garden, Adam, where art thou? And why did you hide yourself? Because we realized. Can you imagine the heartache, the fear, the anxiety, the unknowing of the future? What was God going to do for them but Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ had been slain from the foundation of the world for Adam and for Eve. He was willing to meet them even in their fallen state, even though he had to pronounce on them, the wages of sin is death. Have you read that text? The wages of sin is death? You you can find that. It's, It's very nice. Romans 2, chapter 23 but never read just romans 2 chapter 23 because romans chapter 2 24 says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the message of health ministry. That is the message of every ministry. That no matter how miserable we may be, no no matter how wretched we can be, no matter how we have fallen, if, like Gail, we feel that we can only find somebody to love us amongst the crowd who are also wretched and fallen, the message is that the King of Heaven, the person, Jesus Christ, loves them and he loves you and he loves me a few weeks ago my telephone rang it was beth my assistant she said there's a gentleman here from a a research institute researching longevity and they want to know whether the adventist church supports research in longevity i said put him through i got him on the phone and i said to him do we support longevity? Sure we do. For 100 years, we've been promoting longevity. He said, do you think that people could all live 100 years? I said, 100 years? Yeah, we, we promote people living for 100 years. Ah, he says, what about 200 years? Oh, I said, no problem. We would support that because 200 years is fine. Methuselah, he lived to 900. He says, who's Methuselah? Methuselah. <laughs> He says, all right, if he lived to 900, what about somebody living to 1,000 years? He said, you know, we are doing all kinds of genetic research and we can do kinds of gene transplant. Would your church support that? I said, I don't know whether our church would support your genetic manipulations to live to 1,000 years, but let me tell you this. I'm going to live for eternity. Because I believe Jesus is my Savior. I recount this conversation because it highlights a problem. It highlights the difference between me living for eternity in Jesus Christ and somebody attempting to live for a thousand years through genetic engineering. Now, we don't talk about genetic engineering, but sometimes we have a little bit of the mentality that we can perhaps get people to live 100, 150 years through what we eat and how we live. I once had a member say to me in the Kingston Church in Canada, Lake Ontario sits there, and Kingston's right on the eastern side of the north shores of Lake Ontario. And he said to me, if we could only eat right, I believe we could live forever. False, 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 false. You're repeating the same lie that Satan gave to Eve, thou shalt not surely die. When the garden was taken away and the tree of life was removed, we became mortal. We, dying, were going to die. You see, I sometimes wonder why we are so focused on process. And I think that we have to be careful. We have to be very careful. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, Ye search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see, everything we do is important, but only as it brings us to Jesus. Because in Him is life. We must not mistake. The process for the person. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that we will live for eternity. And then what difference does it make if this one lived till 83 and that one lived till 86? Or like grandma, Janet, that lives to 106 and maybe our grandma now is 94. We don't know. What difference does it make if we live 10 years longer on the Adventist health message, if we gain the whole world, but lose eternity. And so I want to speak today about Jesus. Jesus, who became incarnate in the same flesh that he gave to Adam. Jesus, who bore the slings and arrows, the shame, the despair, by the, 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 the people being despised, everything that they could put upon him. And yet that Jesus in his healing ministry, Mrs. White said, there was no building in Judea that was capacious enough to hold the crowds who followed him, this is ministry of healing, who followed him onto the hillsides and clamored about him to just hear and to touch if Christ be lifted up, He will draw all men to him. That's the ministry of healing. That's the message of Jesus' ministry of healing. And the prescription for this is given to us by Jesus when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's strange. It's strange that he would say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why did he say blessed are the poor in spirit? Because he knew that the haughty Pharisees weighing their tithes in time and in common and in every herb that they grew, looking down their noses haughtily at the, at the, you know, the, the publicans and the sinners, the common folk. He knew that in that pride there was no ability to come to him. Sometimes I wonder, Why the Pharisees wanted to tithe their herbs. Why did they criticize the disciples for getting the husk of a a little bit of corn or maize or whatever it was when they ate it? Why were they so critical of Jesus who they said broke the Sabbath by doing good things on the Sabbath? Why were they so critical? Because their constant question was, what must I do to be saved? Are you asking that same question? Are you asking of yourself, what must I do to be saved? That is the question that spells disaster. Because there is nothing you can do to be saved. It is a gift, but you see, to be poor in spirit means that we are humble enough to accept the gift. I'm fairly generous, fairly generous. I mean, I I, I always think I could do more. My wife says I'm good as a giver, but she said you're terrible as a receiver. You never want to take the gift. And she said, "You know why you don't take the gift?" No, I said, "Why won't I? Why am I? Why am I a a, a poor receiver?" Because you're proud," she said. (laughs) Me proud? Some of us are too proud. Too proud to accept the gift of grace. And if we are to accept the gift of grace, we are going to have to come to that situation that we say, take me as I am. Lord, I'm overweight. Take me. Lord, I've got high blood pressure. Take me. Lord, I've got colon cancer. He doesn't care. Have I told you that I'm HIV positive? I guess I haven't. I haven't told you that because it's untrue. I am not. (laughs) But I told you that, I said that, because I wanted to ask you this question while it's still fresh in your mind. What was the first thought that came to your mind? Was it not, how did he get it? (laughs) Was that? He says a clumsy surgeon. Judging, you see. Judgment comes so readily to the mind of the human Pharisee. Oh, we, we look at the Pharisees. But we're all Pharisees. We're always looking. When somebody comes down with cancer, they say, oh, I thought he was a vegan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We say that. We don't realize that we can do nothing. That health is a gift. A gift of grace from a glorious God who wants us to enjoy to the fullest extent possible in our broken state His mercy, His love, His compassion. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus had compassion on them and He fed them and it wasn't a vegan meal that He fed them but He fed them because He had compassion on them. Our health ministry must become a ministry of grace, not judgment. We've got to stop looking at each other and seeing what they eat and what they do. And instead, when somebody has a disaster, we have to say, oh, I am so sorry. I will pray for you that the love of God will be recognized in your heart. You see, we can only sense the presence of God in our heart when we have The ungrieved spirit. Even the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, built to be a place for God, was changed and altered in the thinking of the people. They no longer thought of it as the place where God dwells amongst them. Instead, it became a building standing as an emblem of Judaism against the Roman oppressors. Through its gates there went the merchants. Everybody was there. Even a beggar sat at the gates bearing, and the disciples, because they were so human, just like you and I, as they passed by. Hmm. Christ didn't use celebrations or creation, or he didn't use charters, he didn't do eight weeks to wellness or the full plate diet. Christ did not have a Ministry of a lifestyle. Christ lived life. And we need to have this way of life. As he passed by. You know, it's very important to read the text. in John, This is in John chapter 9, verse 1. We read what the story about. In the verse before, it says, They took up stones to stone him. And he hid himself from them and he passed by. And the very next verse says, and as he passed by, he saw. My goodness me, I can just imagine myself. As Elder Jackson said the other night, somebody's got a broken bottle and holding it to your throat, intimidating you. That's what they were trying to do to Jesus, intimidating him. And as they held the bottle to his throat, as it were, or the stones in their hands, you know, my heart would be beating I'd probably have a few extra systoles, Dr. Landless. And and I would be really agitated as the adrenaline poured through my body. But Jesus, with the equanimity of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, as he passed by, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. And the disciples, following his gaze, stopped and looked. And with the question that you had in your mind when I told you I was HIV positive, They said, who has sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Yet, that the works of God should be revealed. The works of God. What works? What is the work of God? Since the fall of man, the work of God has been to extend grace into every crevice of human existence. To put grace on the lips of every one of his followers. To put grace into the heart and the minds and the lives. Because it is by grace ye are saved. And not that, not of yourselves. The time has come for health ministry to be such a rejoicing, such a jubilant, such a celebration of grace. Not of our diets, not of our exercise, not of our 5,599 steps so far today. That's That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. And loving Jesus, I want to rejoice and celebrate and tell everyone. And I want to take this precious gift that he's given to me. And I want to extend it into my life, into your life, but not judgmentally. And so Jesus spits on the ground and he takes a little of the mud, that dirt, that common, cheap everything that they have walked on, that they know is useless, and he applies it to those eyes. And as he applies it to the eyes, Jesus then says, go to the pool of Siloam, which is meaning sent. And the blind man, have you ever imagined how the blind man went? Maybe he had a stick. tap, 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 And all around him were the crowds, the young people jumping around and jostling because kids, you know, they can't keep still. You can see I'm a kid because I can't keep still, you see. The kids, they were jumping around him all the way. And some of them, you know, some of them were cheeky kids like he was a cheeky man because he was a mouthy sort. He was just as apt to say blessings when you gave him a gift and curses when you've ignored him. But, you know, that kind of man, as he went along, he heard the children shouting at him. Raccoon face. Maybe some of them were saying, holy spit, look what he's got on his face. But he persisted. Tap, 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 went the stick and the cane till he found himself there. And he washed his eyes. And the mud came off as he washed. And the first thing that he saw was himself reflected in the waters of the pool of Siloam. Probably he was a disheveled man. Probably he had a big beard. Maybe it was tousled and tattered. But he had two brand new Shining eyes. And Jesus felt it so important for him to see himself as he really was. Because only when we realize we are sinners. Sold to sin. That the wages of sin is death. Can we appreciate But the gift of God. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, him, whom to know is life eternal. In our health ministries, we can talk about 10,000 steps a day. It's all very good. In our ministries, We can talk about what kind of diet we think is best suited. We can bring in the nutritionists, and I hear them argue till my head is filled with all their arguments. The science is put before me all the time, but I know, I am persuaded, that it is not diet. It is not exercise. Important though they are, It is the gift that is important. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that we will find power. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that we will find purpose. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that we will find the process of health ministries. Jesus in Revelation, speaking there to John, but speaking to us all, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In him is embodied the totality of our ministry. I hope as you come to worships every morning, you will get a deeper glimpse of this saving Jesus, who will give us the power, who will give us the purpose, who will give us the process of our ministry? because without him, everything is in vain. That's by it. Gracious Father in heaven. We draw close today and ask that the love of Jesus illuminate our hearts. That we may see in everything that we do the need to represent you aright. That your glory may be seen. And your works, especially the works of grace, will be manifest for all to see. I pray it in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.